welcome to another episode of General Nerd Sense, the podcast from Shield War Productions, where we talk about anything and everything. Generally nerdy, hence the name. And on this episode, we have myself, John. And Jacob. And what are we doing, Jacob? We are doing how to create a villain slash how to choose a villain that right. your players will actually want to be their antagonist. Right, because when it comes to your tabletop villains, there is, it's become a bit troped out and formulaic, and that's not not saying that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's just we figured about that, because we talked about what makes a good villain. We did. But, but this is more a matter of what quantifies a villain. So, and, and you see this quite often that villains are kind of the brainchild of the GM oftentimes. And right. It's, it's usually, hey, we're fighting this villain because he's, he's the villain instead of we want to fight the villain because we genuinely hate this villain. Right. And that's something I feel like it's just kind of part of the whole troped out thing mm-hmm. troped out formulaic thing is that like you know the players bring, you know make their characters and that the gm in addition to you know the npcs that kind of flesh out their characters adventures the main the gm's quote-unquote main character is the villain the gm plays the villain and sometimes people view the gm as just the villain anyway yeah not it, it's they're not a player true they're a no. player as well just because they're playing the baddie and they say no you can't do that thing Doesn't you also got to remember that they play a lot of the goodies yes um so a lot of times a villain is kind of pre preordained, predestined by the GM. And that's not to say it's a bad thing. But there is kind of some merit to, you know, because some games are more about um, how do you stop this kind of preordained villain. And I feel like there could be a bit more fun or rather a fresher take rather than how do you stop him going with whose side are you on? Yeah. I mean, setting up two factions and then having the player choose which faction they want to go with is a great way to create a villain. Right, and you can have someone that is technically the villain in that they oppose the current status quo. Mm-hmm. But just because they're bad guys does not mean they are bad guy. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, like whether or not they're actually a villain or just an antagonist is kind of... The two are not necessarily mutually exclusive. They aren't. Um, we're we're gonna refer to the villain. I'm. What I'm going to kind of mean is the antagonist, because oftentimes they're not always a true villain, but really an antagonist to the party. Yes. And, you know, there's. With with the setting up of two factions, that can give the players a lot of freedom with just how they view the campaign overall. Yes. Because they, they don't feel locked into one choice, you know. Yeah, they at the end of the day, they have to choose one or the other, but it's that choice that makes them feel a little bit more empowered. That sense of agency. Yeah. That they're not just kind of dancing to the tune the GM is fiddling for them. Now, it does, in my opinion, require a bit of finesse, because at least how I would do it is you kind of give them two shitty choices. Neither one is the greatest choice, but they have pros and cons to them. I wouldn't even go so far as to say giving them two shitty choices. You should give them two distinct choices Mm -hmm. that both have their own goals and motivations and that could both easily mesh up with the player character party. Mm -hmm. But it's a matter of which one they they feel more invested in in terms of that side's goals and motivations. Like, which one do they jive with the most? Because they both could feasibly mesh with the character party, 
or you know there could be one that just doesn't mesh as you know one will mesh better than the others in your head on paper no but these things don't necessarily go according to plan when made first contact with the players yeah no no why i say you know two shitty choices is neither one i i don't really mean they're crappy choices but neither one is inherently a good guy and neither one is inherently a bad guy right so which whatever they choose they choose for their own reasons yes you know one yeah he might support like selling drugs and you know bringing money extra money into the government that way which players might have be okay with or might be against and but the other one is you know we're we're okay with you know taking the the people who lose this this war and selling them as slaves right so it's like okay neither one of these is great but I'm a little bit more with the guy who's, you know, just going to... Who's not into human trafficking? Yeah. Who puts the shitty... Who puts the moral dubiousness in the hands of the consumer? Exactly. Now, granted, both both of the factions are great choices, but you can kind of decide on your own which one you're more with. Right. And, and granted, you can also make it a multifaceted sort of approach of these. both of these people have kind of terrible plans but they're better than the you know the guy that's currently running it or Mm -hmm. you you can definitely have a lot of fun with making your players have to you know go with one of them that well i don't really like this guy but he's far better than the other guy indeed and again there is some way you know like yeah you can give them those kind of two morally dubious questions or choices or you could give them you know at least, because those two is very binary options. True. And there's a lot to be said with the shortcomings of binary options, on or off. It's like, mm, there's agency there, sure, but there's not the same sort of right to give that agency any sort of meaning. I'd say the way to go about it is given, if we're going for kind of a more organic flow of things, in terms of baddies, who's the villain, who's the bad guy, whatever, the villain is whoever opposes the player character's side of choice and rather mm-hmm. than two maybe call it three because you got the main you know current status quo that yeah there's some flaws with it but there's also flaws with any sort of status quo reign whether it be monarchy or oligarchy or whatever and then you got the two that are you know looking to put themselves in that position but aren't quite there yet but have the players interact with all three and decide whom they like the best if they turn if it turns out you know status quo it's got some flaws but from morality or alignment standpoint, or whatever, it's like things are, the lights are on, things are running. Mm-hmm. So like maybe we, maybe we just keep it that way, and then they work to oppose the people working against it. Yeah, I mean, you could actually totally go, and this is a little bit of history, but like sort of when when Stalin died, there was all these parties who were looking to seize power and had their own different options, and mm. some were, you know, better for other people, and some were, hey, let's fix things, and some were like, hey, let's just keep things going the way they are. Right. And you, you could kind of have that, like, power vacuum, because power vacuum. Right, plant them down in the situation where the king is dead. Yeah, the king is dead. What the fuck do we do now? You know, his his son could take over, but his son is not great. A bit of a lout. Yeah. Or, you know, do we go with, like, the secret, like, you know, the secret police? Or do we go with, like, the city guard? Or do we go with, you mm-hmm. know, the mages guild? And, and you could throw a bunch of these choices at him. 
and have them each have pros and cons. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you go with the city guard, they're yeah, they're still a little brutal, but at the same time, they value your service and they're gonna you know reward you well. Or if you go with you know the the mages guild, they might speak all these nice things, but one of them you know you have nice words for a thief and a liar. You you kind of get that feeling that the leader of the mages guild might just want to become a lynch. Uh, a lynch. A lynch. Sorry. A lynch. Just die. <laughs> or, you know, if you go with, like, the secret police route, yeah, things, they look nice, but they're they going <laughs> to backstab you. Like, you're totally getting that backstabbing vibe. Right. And that can really create kind of organic player choice. and In terms of who the antagonist is. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to be said for that route of going about things. And I think that's kind of the most we can say about that because it ultimately comes down to dealer's choice, GM's preference mm-hmm. in terms of how they go about that. I think what bears a little bit more talking about is having there be a clear-cut antagonist, or antagonist, rather, mm-hmm. that, yes, the pre- whole preordained baddie is a thing that exists because it works, but how do you make it work? So... This, as a GM, this comes, first we kind of have to talk about the, the four main types of villain. Yes. So, if, if you really boil it down, there's the evil overlord, you know, your Darth Vader, Emperor Palpatine kind of types, where yes. they already own this empire, and they're, they're looking to do some evil stuff with it. They've won. They've won. And now you have to fight against them, either in mm-hmm. an uprising or a neighboring state wants to fight them. There's the insane madman who's like your Hannibal Lecter or your Joker from Dark Knight Rises, who's just insane and, you know, wants to do evil shit because he can't. Just because they can't. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Now, you also have your everyday antagonist. This can be that douchebag boss or co-worker. That can be that douchebag member of the army who's trying to rise to power and take things over. Mm -hmm. Or you can have, you know, your immortal enemy, you know, like, a god, death, a lich. Your ancient evil and yeah. coming back to, you know, like well, myth phase and legend, legend becomes myth, whatever. You got your Saurons. You know, they were <clears throat> vanquished, but they didn't... But the, the criteria for their death had not been met. So they were basically in timeout, and now they've come back again. Exactly. Now, what you also see a lot of times is one of these villains is trying to go from one of these to another. So you might have your everyday antagonist who's like that douchebag general trying to become an evil overlord. Or Mm -hmm. you might have that evil overlord who's trying to become an immortal enemy. Quite. Yeah. So that's those are kind of like the four main types. And you, you have a little bit of room to play around with them. Yes. Now... One one of my favorite ways to make a villain who, you know, the players will actually like to hate them, you know, because you don't want your villains just, uh, your your villains to kind of make the player characters feel like, hey, we have to fight him because he's the he, villain. Because he showed up and punched us in the, in the nose. Like, you obviously should, this is the bad guy because we've just punched us, now we have to punch him back. You should genuinely hate him. Right, and this isn't like, oh, we love to hate him because he's just so lovably, lovably, lovably hateable. Like, because there is merit for that, sure. You've got your Lokis, your uh, Crowleys, your Supernatural Lucifers, whatever. That, you know, they're 100% dub baddies. But, like, goddammit, they're entertaining. Yeah. No, these are your baby-eating, like, fuck 
this dude in particular. He's got to go. Now, that's I, the villain. That's the villain you want to present your players with. Because there is something again. There's something to be said for those lovably hateable villains. But that's also going to make your players not really want to. I don't know. Make them go away permanently, and that's not really. That doesn't lend itself to driving the plot very well. Exactly. Now, what what I will say about this, you shouldn't make your villain just, like, drowning puppies in the river in a sack bag just because they're that evil. Right. A good villain has motive. Yes. He's doing things for a reason, and part of that reason should cross paths with your player. You know, if he does this, you guys are going to be fucked, too. Like, right. I don't necessarily make it to parallels where, like, you know, the players can go on their path and the villain can go on their path. Whatever the villain's doing, he's indirectly hurting the players. Right. Now, I don't make that the main point of contention because a lot of players will be like, well, just do something else. It, you should make it to a point where it's like, yeah, he's doing this and this is kind of how it's going to fuck you over. Right. In addition, he's going to do these other things that kind of, you know, slight you. Right. Because as, as a Not player... Not only he's going to fuck you over, he's going to be a dick about it. Yeah. Now, one thing I love to give villains is a good sense of humor, just because it helps drive things along. But also, like, if you're playing Borderlands, you fucking hate the main villain from Borderlands because he's just a douche. He's a douche. And we did, we did talk about this and what makes a good villain. And mm-hmm. A certain amount of charisma does go quite a bit of quite a long ways because if you just have something that's just so polarly, just inhumanly evil, it's like, well, yeah, obviously we're going to oppose that, but we kind of feel shoehorned into it. Mm-hmm. Like, well, duh, of course we're going to oppose the, you know, these drowning puppies and kicking orphans, obviously, because he's a shithead. But when it's someone who is actually working against you, being a dick about it and being snarky the entire time, it's so much because, easier to hate what, it. It's so much easier to hate it because they are clearly. It's the sense of they are expending minimal effort and getting the results of foiling you and working against you. And they're clearly not giving it their all because they don't... They don't see you as a threat. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, mm, I'm going to prove you wrong now. <laughs> no. That is a great motivator tool. It is. What, what I always say is I like to make villains like those plant burrs. You know, they, they stick to you and, and no matter what you try to do, you're going to get them on you and you fucking hate it. Yep, you go tracing through the so, wilderness, yep. So you have to make your villains kind of like that. They, ha- you, they have to have these sticky little prongs that they get into your player characters that just make the player characters be like, fuck it, we're burning down this field. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you can go about this several ways. You can initially have, you know... The, vill- uh, the players know that there's this villain, whether or not they come into the, this empire and they see, like, the side effects of what this villain is trying to do. But in addition, I like, you know, the the villain to kind of kick the players while they're down. Right. Right after, you know, they, they get into a brawl or something, just show... Or on the verge of seizing just the random magical MacGuffin they went on a quest to get for some random spud. Mm-hmm. Have the villain come in and... Have that be actually kind of, you know, plot important, whether they realize it or not, you know, Art form is putting it as kind of an inconsequential thing, mm-hmm. or a seemingly inconsequential thing. Like, you know, look at it as like, yeah, it's just your bog standard, go to the place, fetch the thing, bring it back, quest. You know, not have it seem overly plot important, but then suddenly it is. Because you, your players are on the cusp of getting it, it's been a tough as shit dungeon run, and no one's in particularly good shape. Have them be, you know, on the cusp of getting it, or maybe have just fallen short, you know, Things are clear, but they, 
they've cleared the dungeon, but they just can't quite get past that final thing, like, you know, mm-hmm. make magical berry, whatever. And then enter the villain and shows up. He's like, oh, nice. Thanks for doing, you know, thanks for cleaning all that dungeon for me. Made my job a whole lot easier than, like, oh, yeah, by the way, I need this. See ya. Fuck you guys. Do go the Indiana Jones route, where in, in several of the Indiana Jones movies, he, legit he, beginning of uh, Raiders. Yeah. He gets the he gets, golden idol, barely makes out, and dude's just like, thanks for this. <laughs> this is mine now. This is mine now. You did all the heavy lifting, and I really appreciate it, because I didn't want to go down in that hole. And th- and that's a great way to do it, too, is... Like, mm. Yep. You you can also just... With, with like, the snarky attitude, when, when they come to take that item, just make it so easy to hate. Like, basically, if, if you're making your villain, kind of make him, like, that guy... Yeah. Have, yeah. Just just that, you know, grating on the player's, like, s- self-esteem and... The nerves just... You are everything that is hateable. Yeah. And you you can go about that... But not know, from a morality standpoint, from just an individual to deal with. Like, a personality standpoint. Mm-hmm. Hateable. Because that's what make... That is what's going to make your players choose the villain rather than have the villain choose them. Yeah. Now, what I also say... And, and I've talked about this before. I like to give my players a little, like, basically survey before mm-hmm. they they go and, I'm you know, start building a lot of the story. And you, what you can also do is kind of give them a, a couple of, like, generic morality questions to kind of view, like, okay, how do they feel about this? And you can kind of self-tailor that villain to be like, oh, yeah, you know, this villain, he's charismatic – you know, he's also a snarky asshole, but he does this, which I know gets you kind of a little pissed off. Right. You can also, if you know your friends well, get, you know, those little those little things that just drive them insane. You know, like... Not their pet peeves, their major psychotic fucking hatreds. Yeah. Like, whether or not it's, like, chewing with their mouth open or... Mm-hmm. and And just, like, drive that little point home of... This guy is tailored to you yep. for you to hate him. Mm-hmm. And and you have to kind of cover your villain with all these little spiky points that will get your players to just, oh, my fucking God, I want to I wanna kill him. But I can't yet. I have to go through all this bullshit to kill him. I want to kill him, but there's still plots to go. Mm-hmm. And that's a great way to do it. Oh, yeah. Now, I do like the Borderlands kind of aesthetic of... He's kind of at the, like in the beginning stages. He's kind of beyond your control, and he there's fuck all you can do about handsome yeah. Jack. And you have to work to get to be able to even like see him. Right, doing a lot of kind of just generally unrelated shit for a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of related, but like man, you've got a still you still got a ways to go. And then finally, you start chipping away at the armor, the bubble wrap that's around him. But the entire time, he's just poking at your prod and mocking you the entire time. Now, another great way is for the villain to kill one of, like, if, if you have a lot of NPCs, if you see, like, your players liking one of the NPCs, have the villain kill that NPC. Yeah. If you see the players liking an NPC and you haven't quite sold your players on that he's the villain, well, that beloved NPC now has a target on their back. Yeah. And we know how player characters react when an NPC they love are killed. Either 
hysterical grief or blind fucking rage. There is no in-between. And usually it's hysterical grief, then blind fucking rage. Blood vendettas. Or both at the same time. Revenge oaths. Yeah. It's it's a great thing that is used in so many forms of media because but it But also works. a dick move. It is a dick move. Because that is playing with emotions on a very real level. It is. Now, you don't always have to do the favorite NPC. You could do, like, a second favorite NPC. Right. But you also shouldn't make it like, hey, this this NPC, you can kind of see that he's probably going to die. Have it kind of come out of left field. Right, just... uh, What? We were just liking him. Yeah. Funny how that works. Now, you got to be careful with how much you do this if you play with the same group over and over. Yeah. Because then they will just never become attached to an NPC again. Openly. They will talk behind your back about how much they love a particular NPC, and you will never hear a word of it. (laughs) Because they're protecting him or her. They're protecting that NPC from you because you have become the villain. (laughs) And and you got to be careful, too, because somebody might want to throw hands if their favorite NPC is killed. Yes. So... On top of that, um, I also like to give give my villains a decent amount of power, whether or not it's political power or um, just intelligence, um, magical power. You you have to give the the villain a clear cut advantage that the players have to figure out how to destroy. Mm-hmm. Because if if your villain is just like, hey, you know, I'm I'm the villain, but I don't really have anything to back this up. They're going to really hate him. Right. It's like, okay. It's going to be kind of like that Napoleon complex where it's like, yeah, sure. You got all this power. You're short, though. Mm-hmm. And you can't really do anything to me. Right. So show your players that they have they have power. They have agency. Now, one, one of the ones I kind of like is the everyday antagonist. You know, you can have a villain who could be the hero, but they just choose not to be. They're they're just such a douche that you hate them on principle. I think a better way of putting this, the everyday villain, is that it is a villain that everyone has encountered at least one point in their life. And I'm glad mm-hmm. you brought the, uh, the everyday villain, because we already have a very good example of this. Um, those of you who are familiar with Harry Potter series will remember Dolores Umbridge. And how, yeah, she was she showed up precisely for one book, maybe more, like, but she was the main antagonist of one book, even though you had like the overarching like doomsday villain that was Voldemort. He played almost no part yeah. in the whole book. He was not the main focus of hatred in that book. It was Umbridge. You know why? Because she was in a very position of very real power and abused the shit out of it when she could have used that very real power to do genuine good. And she mm-hmm. knew that she, that what that she was abusing that power and there's precisely fuck all anyone could do about it. Yeah, for the longest time until unless you were the people unless people were willing to get very clever. That is your that is, should be your go-to example of how to craft an everyday villain, which is someone who's just has a position of power, there's authority, whatever, over the players and could do so much to assist the main characters with that power, but instead just decides fuck you because I can. And not for any overarching goal, but just kind of because they're I dislike they're, you. It's the power. It's the reason that Umbridge was so hateable was because we've all been in that situation of complete and utter powerlessness with an authority figure. And it works well. It works very well. And and your players will go out of their way to try to overthrow this villain. Or just foil them, because it wasn't really overthrowing. Yeah. It was just dealing with. 
In terms and, of in the context of Umbridge. Yeah. But within the context of creating a D&D villain, you could very well just have it, you know, this is, you know, this is the, the king that kind of, you know, pays your bills, but he really dislikes you because of something minor you did. So he, every chance he gets, he's going to try to fuck you guys over. Step on your toes, do something. Yeah. He Boil gives, you, stall you, whatever. He gives you quests here and there, but... When, when he could pay you the full amount for the quests, he's going to be like, well... He's going to come up with an imaginary stipulation that you did not that you were not aware of. Or just, he will come up with, up with a reason to not pay you in full because of, of, of a way you went about completing his orders. Yeah. And see how quickly your players will hate him when they don't get paid their full amount of gold for something. Mm, or get their full reward, whatever. And they're instantly going to be like, hey, fuck this guy. And that's when you have the NPC come out be like, hey, you know, I'm... I'm kind of thinking about coming to power, and I'm going to be a lot better than this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It works well. It does. And it gives the players, in that particular context, because it does kind of drive the plot along, mm-hmm. but it does give the players eight. How to say? Because that is kind of a pre-crafted, pre-ordained villain, but it still gives the player the at least very tangible sense of choosing to foil them mm-hmm. but they also are given have been given the motivation to foil them even if the choice of villain wasn't really there in the first place yeah. and that kind of is what it comes down to a lot with this with this original topic of how do we choose the villain because you know we talked about how you can pr- present three different factions vying for power and that's you know kind of your more organic open world sandbox sort of thing but when it comes to the preordained villains because this is a it's just a formulaic trope that it works it worked. That's just that's how D and D has worked for a very long time. Is the mm-hmm. villain has been preordained, but how do we do this in such a way that it still gives players the sense of agency rather than having them pop up, punch them in the face, fuck you? It's like, well, obviously that's the villain. It's like, mm, or do you give them real reason to go after the villain? Mm-hmm. You give them a real reason to view the villain as the villain. Because at the end of the day, if you don't give them a real reason to go after the villain, it just kind of feels forced and. Your players are going to be like, yeah, well... And they might enjoy the ride, but they won't be as invested in it as they could have been. You know, they'll be, you know, be dancing to the tune of the beat and all that sort of thing, because that's just how it works. And that's not going to necessarily make it unenjoyable. It's just that you could be getting a lot... Everyone involved, as both GMs mm-hmm. and players, can be getting a lot more out of an adventure or a campaign if there's full emotional investment in foiling the villain. Yeah, and... Really, at the end of the day as well, like, the more your players are invested in that villain, the more roleplay you're going to get out of them, the more overall investment they're going to give to your campaign. Yes, and if you must go with kind of, you know, the just this is the big bad because he's got the big bad sign pointed at him, and there's not a whole lot of, like, there's the motivation to foil him because he is the big bad. That's not to say you can't introduce a recurring antagonist that is not necessarily the big bad, but is certainly going to irritate the players that has absolutely no relation to the big bad, but is going to still continue to be a problem until dealt with. Um, I say this in reference to a story I read about someone... The guy who was... Who, um, playing, whose players had forever DM'd him. And he's like, well... And they kind of this person was kind of assuming that this was the DM's revenge by coming up with this character who just did things. Really annoying things. Nothing to take over the world. Just really annoying things that kind of threw wrenches in the gears. Like, 
He stole every third lamppost from a kingdom and then fired him out of a fucking channel at the main city just to do damage. Not to destroy the city, just to do a lot of collateral damage. Um, shit like that. And there was another one where he made everyone for in one specific town forget a specific word and what it meant. And that's when the, you know, the town where the PCs were showing up and just like, it really was just slowing down the plot. And there was another point where he infested an entire town with the little Amazonian fro- rainforest frogs, you know, things that, you know, about the size of your thumb, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. But there were just thousands of them, hundreds of thousands of them, and they were all riveting Camptown ladies. <laughs> and if stepped on, they exploded. It took the players, like, three hours to make it from main gate to tavern, and they did take damage along the way just because of stepping on Camptown lady riveting frogs. And they're finally like, Holy shit, he's not the bad guy, he's not the villain, but the villain's gonna fucking wait for a second, because we are tired of this fucker. Fuck this guy, he's always getting on, like, they they put up pause on major plot points just to deal with this fucker. Not because he was trying to become a lich, not because he was trying to bring in a thousand years of darkness or become a brutal dictator or tyrant or whatever, just because he was being a, hor- a howling shit. And they're like, this is the best one-off villain, like, just random villain that we've ever had. It wasn't the big bad, but, like, I fucking loved it. And it's like, yeah, we killed we we killed the shit out of him, but, like... We enjoyed every second of it. And that. we enjoyed every second. Like, they went to, like, exceptional lengths to make sure he was super mega fucking dead. Like, they unalived him and then checked their work to be sure. It's also, like, that one villain who the players came into contact with, um... And he was never the main villain, just an antagonist, where he would pay them to get these magical MacGuffins that would end up in the hands of the Big Bad. The Big Bad. And he's like, I didn't have anything to do with that. I was just an acquirer. And I'm then not in contact with the Big Bad. I just acquired these, and then they ended up in the market, and I'm not responsible for that. Yeah. And they ended up, like, going on a personal quest to kill this guy who, at the end of the day, his only specialty was slipping out of their hands. Was escaping. Yeah. That was it. He never wanted to fight, stay and fight. He just wanted to get the fuck out of Dodge. He was just great at escaping. And it took him so much just to kill him. Real life months. Yeah. If, if you haven't read that story, I forget what it's called. I do too, but like. But that that is a great example I'm sure of a like, good antagonist. Yeah. Yes. And it's one that was willingly chosen. Yep. And that's kind of the crux of this whole podcast is how do you choose the villain? Well, you as the GM, sure, you can choose the villain. But your players should also opt to feel like they have chosen them as well. Personally, as a player, usually my characters are going to choose whatever person has slighted them. Right. Like, currently in the example of Xander, the person he's chosen as the villain is the patrician of the city who, you know, was was nice to him. And Xander was going to probably do stuff for him because he gave him money. He took him out for a day at the Coliseum. But then he sent guards after him. Assassins specifically try to kill them. So Xander's like, you know what? Fuck this dude in particular. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to kind of annoy the GM how much Xander's going out of his way just to... Hold a vendetta. Hold a vendetta, but... Honor must be satisfied. Exactly. And Xander's Xander's worked a long time, and he's worked for a lot of people, and this is not how you do business. Nope. I mean, you don't need to really live... For a long time work for a long time to understand that that's not how you do business well from from his mercenary view like he I got thought, paid he I got you know wined and dined he was gonna work for this guy but the guy decided you know what i i want you dad what i'm saying is it doesn't take it's, 
user experience to understand that's not how you do business. But on the plus side, at least Xander got wined and dined before he got fucked. I mean, he didn't get fucked. The other players did. I got fucked by Listen, one of At least the, the party got wined and dined before they got fucked. <laughs> I, got, I got more fucked by the goblin who wanted to cast an AoE spell near me. Yeah. Only damage I took. Yep. Otherwise, it would have been a flawless round for you. See, but the rest of the party, like, they don't really care about him because, oh, okay, we had to kill a couple guys who don't give a shit. Xander is like, no, he tried to kill us for no, no reason. He He's this asshole, and I, I, I will make sure he pays. Yes. And now Xander is seeing that he's, his work is not even being attributed to him. It's being attributed as a political move. So Xander now mm. wants to go out and, and make sure that he doesn't forget Xander's name. Right. Yeah. That's an example of a villain willingly that you have chosen. I don't that, even, I don't even think the GM meant for him to be a villain, but he's gonna be my villain. An antagonist truly. Yeah. That has become your personal villain. And again, that's the crux of the issue is how does one choose a villain? Well the GM can preordain a villain, but it is also the kind of the onus of the GM to make sure that they're the kind of villain that the players will also then willingly choose. Otherwise, yes, it's tropey it's, you know, to have just the obvious villain. But you'll get more if it's one that the party also voluntarily chooses rather than feeling like they're being forced into. Mm -hmm. I think that's about all we've got on the matter. Yeah. And again, when it comes to recurring topics like what makes good villain, good roleplay, character, whatever, we'll have more to add on to this at a later date. We've already, like, like, like we said at the beginning, we already did a podcast on what makes good villain. And this is just adding to it because these are kind of ongoing conversations and new thoughts come up opinions change all that sort of thing and, and additional like scopes of the question come up as well right it's not something that we can that we can be feasibly covered in a you know hour-long podcast or even if also was your you know a three and a half hour podcast like we could talk with that man about what makes a good anything for three fucking hours and then fast forward six months and we've got more thoughts on the matter that didn't come up and and that's kind of what's fun about the kind of subjective role-playing questions like this you know no two answers are going to be the same and they're going to be they're going to have different scenarios where one might work and where one might not work and there are very few wrong answers to questions true there are just different answers but i think that'll about do it yeah so dear shield bears how do you choose a villain Head on over to our Facebook page, Shieldwall Productions at Facebook.com. Or head on over to our Twitter at the official SWP, whether or not you want to bring me ways that you as a GM have made villains or, you know, just want to shoot the shit and talk. I'm more than happy to do that as well. Indeed. And until next time, wherever you're listening to us, be it iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Tune, whatever, don't forget to subscribe if you're not subscribed already. And we shall catch you later. Doodles! <laughs>